business and people. Your host, Walt Bayless. Let's get this show started. Welcome to the Agency Bud podcast. On the show, we talk to agency owners and business owners, CEOs, startup founders about their biggest challenges, what makes them tick, and how they got their agencies or businesses to scale and grow. Overcoming challenges, it's what we do. Let's find out about these business owners. You can follow along with every episode at podcast.agencybud.com. We'd love to have you on board. Agency Bud is the platform for delivering increased revenue to businesses and agencies. Find out more at agencybud.com. Let's go and meet our special guest for today. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the show, I have an incredible special guest, one of the most amazing humans that I've ever had the pleasure to meet, somebody that I count as a personal friend. And the way that we met is amazing. His giving spirit has completely made a massive impact in my life. In fact, I haven't spoken to our special guest in, in years, and yet I still have such a fond heartfelt memory of the time that we've spent together. The person we're about to speak to not only is an international speaker, he's been a TEDx speaker, he's been on Harvard, he's spoken at Harvard University twice, he's spoken on Fox News, he's coached some of the most successful people in the world, including Richard Branson, he's had time and uh, audiences with the Dalai Lama, queens, princesses, presidents and prime ministers, he's played tennis with Sir Richard Branson on Necker Island, and it is an incredible pleasure and an honour to introduce the founder of the happiness formula, Mr. Anil Gupta. Anil, thank you so much for joining me, man. Hey, Walter, you know, it was a magical moment meeting you and, um, you know, we got on so well and it's all about vibration. When you, when you sense something is right, just go for it. And I love that you did that and love you kept in contact. And uh, it's a beautiful feeling for me too. It's incredible. We, so telling the story, we, um, you actually were speaking at, a, at an event that I was attending and um, you have an incredible gift, and we're going to get into this in just a minute. You have an incredible gift of making anybody cry in 60 seconds. And I've never <laughs> seen... <laughs> so uh, Anil has a special ability to help people have real, genuine breakthroughs and get past whatever's blocking them in their life. And I watched you work with some of the people that we were in the audience with. And I just really resonated with what you said. So after, this, after your talk, you know, everybody was packing up, and I, I raced outside, you were getting in the car... And I said to you, you know, I'd like to meet you. Hi, my name's Walt. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to get to know you better. And, and your response was, well, jump in. Let's go for dinner. And we spent, I think, you know, not only that dinner, but the next day we, we caught up again. And the day after that, we went to the airport. And um, there's you and I sitting in, in uh, I can't remember, but some, some fast food restaurant in the airport. And the waitress, do you remember? She had a, had a bad day and you had that red nose in your pocket. And she turned around to get the menu. There you go. Got it. Got it. Red nose. And you had it straight on. (laughs) And you changed her state so completely. And one of the things that I absolutely loved about what you said, and in fact, I've um, I've I've delivered this same thing to my kids, is that while you were talking, you said, "Imagine the happiest memory that you possibly had," and and you know, got everybody to to get into that state. And and if you're listening to this on the podcast, I invite you to do this, right? So this is Anil talking on the stage and he said, imagine the happiest memory that you have. Fill yourself up with that incredible joy and remember that time. And so we all did. And then he said, okay, now pause for a moment and imagine the saddest memory that you've ever had and the, 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 that unbelievable crushing weight. And so we all did and he could feel the energy of that room come down again. And then he said, okay, you didn't dwell on that too long. But then you said, what's amazing about what we just did in 60 seconds. 
is that we completely changed your emotional and physical state by asking you to change your physical and emotional state. And I've done that with my kids when they're feeling sad or when they're feeling happy or whatever. We can, we can work by just having our own subconscious help us through life. And now, of course, you've been the founder, the, the creator of the happiness formula, helping people who have the trappings or the appearance of success, but deep down they don't have that happiness. So how did you become the founder of the happiness formula and live the amazing life that you've led so far? Well, you know, I was suicidal in 2008. I wouldn't eat with a knife just in case I did something stupid uh, with, with a knife or walk up a flight of stairs or even overlook a tall building. And uh, there was one thing, you know, uh, actually there was a bit of a, a story here. So I, um, I had to tell my wife and I said, honey, look, you know, I've got some really bad news to tell you. She said, what is it? So look, you know, we've lost, I've lost all the um, the finances, the car, the house, the student uh, uh money that we've been saving up for the kids and she looked up at me and she smiled and I said honey did you hear what I said and she said honey I, I knew something was wrong because you were behaving differently I thought it's something serious I thought you were dying and she gave me a squeeze and I hugged and said everything's going to be fine and I said look I don't understand she said look I, I'm not worried about the money I'd rather be with you and the kids be with you and that that helped a lot you know because I was beating myself up and then she said, what do you love to do? I said, look, you know, I love to give and coach. She said, okay, great, let's do that. So I started to give. In the moment you give, there is no pain, there is no suffering. And then all of a sudden, you see hope. And from there, it became a drug. And I just kept on doing it. And it, it's been the greatest thing I've ever done. Wow. And so the, the change for you, like, I mean, coming from a, a business background, I guess, coming from a, a you know, um, I know your story a little bit from, from, um, past, etc. But moving into that space where, hey, I've lost everything, or I, I can't really grasp what the next straw is. How did how did the change from Mina, your wife, uh, giving you that reassurance that you're loved? How did that help you change your perspective on what was needed? Well, really, it was a massive change in my identity because previously my identity was around making money, and mm. that's that's my framework. Then I changed my identity around making an impact, helping other people. And, and another thing I started to do was uh, uh, I stopped using the U.S. currency as my uh, main currency, and I started using a different currency, and that made me a billionaire. The new currency, and I urge all of you to start using this currency, is, is the currency of love, compassion, empathy, kindness, joy, generosity, playfulness, fun, being present being uh, thoughtful, being, being generous in, in any way that you can. And if you start being that and you start using that as your currency, you know, you're, you're a billionaire. So it's, it's, it's an identity shift and it's a shift in focus and it's a shift in awareness. And if you put all of these things together, that creates a massive change. Amazing. And for the, for the people that... Um for the people that are that are in that kind of treadmill, I guess, of the the traditional U.S. currency or whatever currency we deal with, looking at the bank balance and trying to make more, trying to keep what we've got, you know, all of that kind of all of that kind of stuff. When they when they 
when you would it invite someone to change the measure of their success in terms of their happiness and, and uh, the currency that they're using, how would you take someone who who's going through what you went through, who's going through that complete blackness right now, um, and they say to you, Anil, I can't see a light anywhere. How would you take that person and, and help them with that? Well, you know, it's fairly easy and I have a process. So I developed something called the happiness formula, which is happiness equals to G cubed. The first G is you have to give. Your time, your energy, your love, your commitment, your joy, your gift, your money. Give it away. The second G is you have to be grateful for what you have. See, a lot of people are focusing on what they don't have, what they've lost. And that was what I was doing. Mm. But you have to focus on what you have left. So if you look at your hands. Looking. Yeah. When was, <laughs> when was the last time you thanked them? Yeah, a long time ago. They've done everything for you. Yeah. But these are the things that are important. Your heart, your skin, your eyes, your, your brain. But we focus on, oh, I've lost some money. I've lost this. I've lost my job. But, you know, you have beautiful people around you that you love and love you. And the third G is you have to grow emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. Now, if you're feeling really, really sad, I promise you, one of those three Gs is way below the rest. All you have to do is work on the lowest G. See, the thing is, when we're upset or we're depressed or we're sad, we get fearful. And when we're fearful, we can't see things as they are. So this formula will allow you to just work on the lowest G. And if you can't work on the lowest G, you can't work it out, just do any of that Mm. because everything will rise. And this way it gives you the clarity that you're seeking by allowing you to focus on one thing rather than being overwhelmed. When you're in a state like that, you get overwhelmed, you get fearful, you make the wrong decisions, you're not breathing properly, you see things worse than they are. So it's all cumulative. This this way just... It, sort of shocks you and say, okay, what do I do? Oh, the three Gs. And then you can be very objective rather than subjective. So the three Gs, giving, gratitude, yeah. and growth. And as you said, yes. if you don't know which one, just do any of them. So yeah. the focusing on, this, on the central one, the, the, the gratitude, just for a minute, that's something that, uh, and again, I'm speaking from personal experience. Uh, I've been through suicidal thoughts in my time and, and in, in dark places and that gratitude mentality was a definite light for me. And that's something that you can do without a cost. You don't have to, you don't have to go somewhere to do it. You can literally close your eyes and do it right now. Is that, is that the starting point for a lot of people, Anil? Yeah, it, it is. And, and you know, even giving, uh, there's a no cost to giving. You can be kind, generous, complimentary. Uh, you, you can make a phone call. You, you can thank someone. Yeah, so... Um, Gratitude is very important. A lot of people do gratitude, so they'll, they'll make a list, but they're not being grateful. There's a big difference. So a, an exercise I ask people to, to do is write down 50 things you're grateful for, not five, but 50. And if you're struggling with that, it means that gratitude muscle isn't working. On top of that, what I ask people to do is write down 20 accomplishments that you've achieved during your lifetime. Nice. And notice how you feel as you write them down. And then when you look back, you think, wow, I've, I've accomplished so much. Because we focus on the negative. We focus on what we didn't do. We focus on the negatives. We focus on our failures. Mm-hmm. But if you focus on your accomplishments and the things you're grateful for, all of a sudden you'll have more energy. And it's really very powerful. So thinking about, um, thinking about that shift 
you know, the happiness formulas, as I mentioned a moment ago, that um, working with so many people who have the, the illusions or the success, um, I guess, facade, where they, they have all of this going on and yet somehow deep inside they have that unhappiness. When you speak yes. to people, and again, this is from personal experience, when you ask people what they want out of their life, I would anticipate that 90% of that response is the word happiness. And then yes. the other, everything else that happens around that is, is people's attempt to achieve what they've defined as happiness. So they're working harder, they're working longer, they're doing whatever. How do people lose their way, Emil? Like I'm thinking in the business sense. So here's a businessman, an entrepreneur, they start off with a vision, they go a couple of years, they're, they're a few years into it and their happiness levels are just dropping day by day. Until they, until they come to you or to someone in that coaching world and they say, yes. my, my life is mind-numbingly boring, blah, 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 I've lost the juice. How do they lose their way along that path? Well, you know, they lost it at a very early age. Okay. Maybe at the age of five or six. I'll tell you what happens. When you're very young, uh, you normally seek attention or... or, or um, gratification from one parent, you know, acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And if, and it's normally the father, you know, in 80% of the cases. And, and, you know, in Russia, it's normally different. In Ukraine, it's different. So it's, normally it's the father. So what the child does, it starts to perform in order to get the father's attention. And when they don't get the father's attention, they work even harder. And if they don't get the attention, they get work even harder. So then they, they make a lot of money, then they make more money, but they're, they're on a treadmill and they're on autopilot. Mm. And then, you know, then there's, there's normally something that happens, uh, a, a life change or a calamity or something happens and they think, oh my God, what's the point? But they're driven towards this, what they think will make them uh, be appreciated by either their, their mother or their father. And they miss out on the fulfillment. That's what we're seeking, actually. People think we're seeking happiness, but we're not. Happiness is external. Fulfillment is internal. Motivation is external. Inspiration is uh, internal. So what we're seeking is a feeling. Every human being is seeking a feeling of fulfillment. Mm. That's all we do. We seek a feeling. When we have a nice meal, a nice car, a nice relationship, money in the bank for the security it gives us, for the joy it gives us. So... We are uh, seeking feelings. And if, if you recall that uh, exercise I did with you, uh, you know, when was your saddest day? When was your happiest day? So that's the feeling of that moment. Yeah. And it's very painful because you can be very successful financially, but if, if your wife leaves you and your children hate you, it's horrible. Right. Let's invite people to have a calamity right now. Like that seems like an incredible thing to invite people to. Let's invite people who are listening to have a calamity, a tragedy, an incredible, devastating event right now here on this call so that they can adjust that need for fulfilment and recognise what actually brings the happiness in their life. So listeners, as you're, as you're watching or listening to this, uh, I invite you to have a calamity in the safe environment that is this call have a terrible event happen to you right now that makes you go, whoa, what am I doing all of this for? Because that will be a, a life change. For well, you. 
I, I, there's another way to do this. Let's and, do that. And I, and Let's there's do a process. So when you have a, a calamity, adversity, it, it wakes you up. Right. And, and it, it brings you some awareness. Okay. So the awareness gives you clarity. The clarity gives you focus. The focus gives you action. The action gives you results. The results gives you momentum, which gives you everything. So rather than wish any calamity or adversity upon virtual, you. Virtual, virtual. Yeah. Rather than do that, let's just create a level of awareness and ask yourself, where am I on the fulfillment scale? Is it a one? Mm. Is it a 10? Is it nine? And if it's a seven, great. What do I need to do to get it to an eight? Do I need to give? Do I need to grow? Or do I need to be grateful? See, that's a very empowering way to do it rather than imposing pain on people. Just sure. just shake them and wake them. And no, if you have point- any callers, any listeners, any questions, happy to answer them. I'd love that. Um, no, my point wasn't to wish that calamity on people. My point was that quite often people go through that positive life change as a result of that calamity. And what I'm hoping is that we can, yes. we can get them to do that without the actual calamity happening so we can invite them yes. to accept. So one of the things, one of the, the tools that you work with people um, as, as you're doing that with the happiness formula is you invite them on that assessment, right? So we're literally saying, where are you now in terms yes. of a score with, with happiness and fulfillment and, you know, the other measures of life? And then, as you said, very simply, what would it take to move you one number? Yeah, yeah, baby steps. And do you, yeah. do you normally start with fulfillment? Is that your, your starting point? Well, what I normally do, if, if, say, I was coaching you, I do a full forensic examination from birth to where you are now. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, your relationship with your with your father, mother, uh, brothers, sisters, boyfriends, girlfriends, uh, anything, uh, your whole history. And uh, a lot of the work uh, 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 involves forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I call forgiveness the express pathway to freedom. Because a lot of people won't forgive themselves or can't forgive themselves or will not or cannot forgive people who've hurt them in the past. And that's a big thing. And that really is one of the big things that stops people living fulfilled lives. Is that they blame themselves or that they don't forgive themselves for past errors? Well, yeah, they beat themselves up and, uh, you know, they, they sabotage their relationships, they sabotage their success but they cannot be fulfilled without the act of forgiveness. Mm. Of themselves or of those around them? It's both. Yeah. Really both. Yeah. Uh, the hardest person to forgive is yourself. That That's normally the last thing that happens. They can forgive other people, but then they, as humans, they, they will stack stories of them doing the wrong things or failures, and then they'll stack them and stack them because that's a muscle they've really developed. Mm. So this, the secret is just to break them down and disassociate them so that it has no power. So you get to start fresh. You get to start from today. Yeah, it, and it's not starting from fresh because you've got all that uh, knowledge. So you're, you're starting in front, actually. Starting with a, with a wealth of, uh, of experience to already move forward from. Yeah. Anil, you, you mentioned that um, a lot of that early uh, need for gratification comes from you know parent and child relationship uh again from a personal standpoint i remember the day that i looked in the mirror looked dead in my eyes and i said to myself i'm okay i'm actually i'm okay right here right now with nobody else around with the lights off and nobody else in the room i'm okay i remember that day 
as a pivotal point, is there a is there a method or a way that people can recognize that they are okay rather than that dependency on somebody else telling them you're a good boy, you're a bad boy, you're a good girl, you're a bad girl, you know, rather than trying to chase that gratification. How do you help people understand who they are right now? Yeah, really it's it's accepting who you are. And also there's one sentence that really helped me, which is this. See, people are trying to get somewhere. They mm. feel there's something missing, there's something wrong. And all I say to you is this, there's nowhere to get to. There's nothing missing, there's nothing wrong, and you're already there. Then all of a sudden you can just say, you know what, it's okay. Whereas if you're continually trying to get somewhere, you think there's something missing or something uh, is wrong, you can never be at peace. So you can never be in, enjoying the moment. There's always that tension, oh, I should be working, I should be doing this. Whereas if you can slow down and be at ease, the brain can think smarter. Mm. Have you seen, have you seen uh, the traditional measures of success uh, improve as a result of that increased clarity? Well, then, yeah, then I, I changed the definition of success. Sure. You see, if you, if you change the definition of a word, you change uh, the emotion. So my definition of success is this. Success is making progress. If you're making progress, you're successful. Mm-hmm. There's no monetary sum. There's no physical uh, attributes or things that you have to have. It's just you, you know, make progress. And that's what we did at school. Then uh, when we start a business, we make tremendous progress. Then we slow down and then we stagnate. Then we go downhill. So what I ask is, you know, be aware of the language that you use. Look at the language around the definition that you have and then change that. And, and another big thing is that we care so much what other people think and just give that up. None of us are that important. Tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I was suicidal, one of the things that, that bothered me was what will other people think? Yeah. How crazy is that? If I'm dead, it doesn't really matter. But I would, I, <laughs> it's still, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, I think, you know, you know, what will they think? You know, if I mess this up, they'll laugh at me. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Really, it's a big thing. People are so concerned what other people think of them. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it stems from a young age. And once you can let that go, once you realize that no one's judging you, no one's giving you marks, you can, you can do anything you like, anytime you like, how you like. I read somewhere, and I, I've carried this with me, that uh, even your best friend cares more about their broken fingernail than they do about your greatest problem. Absolutely. They couldn't care less. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, walking, uh, Australia is a very empty continent. There's not many of us down here. But I, I love walking on the streets in London before all this lockdown craziness happened. But walking in the streets of London, you see some incredible personalities. People dress the way they want to dress. They behave the way they want to behave. And, I, I mean, it's probably um, very visible in other capital cities in, in, the, in the world as well. But I, I always think to myself, London's the point that proves nobody cares what you do or how you dress or who you are because they're all just so focused on what they are. So letting go of that, that necessity to, to, uh, to be judged by other people and living by your own rules. Yeah. You know, do what, what makes you happy. Um, if you don't want to do something, don't do it. And another issue I've noticed recently is that people find it hard to say no. And I, they're great givers. And I asked the question, are you a great giver? They said, yeah. And I said, are you a, a, are you a good taker? And they said, no, I'm not. I said, well, that's your problem. Mm. You see, the thing is, say, for example, Walter, 
uh, you have $10 million in your bank account and every day you have to give a million dollars away. Mm-hmm. How long could you do that for? Logic tells me 10 days. 10 days. But if every day your bank account was filled with over a million dollars, how, how long could you give a million dollars a day away from? Definitely. Yeah. So in the act of giving, you're not taking, you're receiving. Mm-hmm. So if you realize that you're not a taker but a receiver, and if you don't receive, you're denying someone else the ability to give. So when you receive, your ability and capacity to give will actually increase. So all you have to do is change the definition and the wordings. I'm a great receiver and I'm a great giver. Mm. And it's way. okay. It's perfect. I like, uh, you know, I like the, uh, the idea that by not being a good receiver, you're actually impacting that other person's opportunity to give. So we, we, we say to people, doesn't it feel great to give someone a present, something, some time, some investment into them? It feels great to give that, right? And if other people are trying to give you those things and you're pushing back, no, 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 it's not needed. You don't need to do that. I'm not, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, not giving them that opportunity to have those amazing Absolutely. feelings. Yeah. 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 It's a Thank- big thing. It is a big thing. One of the things that, that, um, that I've found fascinating about the work that you're doing now is that you're helping people not only from a business sense to have fulfillment in their lives rather than what they do, which is, I think, a, a very big def- uh, defining point, but you're also helping people through mistakes in their marriages and other personal relationships as well. What sort of, what sort of mistakes do you see there that are, I won't say easily fixed, but that are uh, important to be addressed? Well, you know the biggest mistake people make in marriages. You know what that is? Tell me. Getting married. Yeah, right. <laughs> One does not happen without the other. <laughs> you will not have any failed marriages if you never get married. This is true fact, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, true fact. <laughs> you know, the biggest mistake that people make in marriages is they don't do their due diligence. Okay, tell me about that. So, you know, you'll meet uh, a girl in a bar and you think, oh, this is chemistry, we're getting on, This this must be it. And then, you know... You have a few drinks, you go home and you sort of, you know, continue that relation. All of a sudden, you're in a relationship, but you know nothing about her, really. You know, you don't know the traumas of her previous relationships. You don't know about her mum and dad, about uh, all the issues that she's had. And, you know, you're almost marrying an unknown entity. Whereas if you were to buy a house or a car, you check out the color, the engine, you do a report, you'd find out, you know, what's the neighborhood like? So I had, an, I had an arranged marriage, and that was 32 years ago. Mm. But we did, we did our due diligence on my wife before we even met her mm. so that we knew that she came from a good family, that she was well-respected, that she was uh, a, a, a good, a good uh, young lady. Yeah. Whereas people don't do that. You know, they think, oh, this is chemistry. If someone looks at you across the, across the room or in a bar, or this time it feels different, or I felt that it must be, you know, it, it must be a connection. No, you have to do your due diligence, you know, because later on in life, if your values don't, don't align, you're going to get a divorce mm. and it's painful. Why not avoid that? You know, there's no need to go through that. I agree with you because of the fact that, you know, that, that thought process, approaching that relationship as the most important relationship that you'll ever have in your life is a great way to start. But it's not the answer I expected from you. Um, so, so let me rephrase the question a little bit differently. People who are in marriages and who have a significant relationship and that breakdown happens and affects so many people around and more and more people all the time. 
is there is and I won't say a silver bullet, but is is there a strategy? Is there a way for people to rediscover some of the reasons that they got married and to to eliminate some of the tension between those relationships? Yeah. So the common, I tell you what happens. I call this the dating facade. Mm-hmm. So boy meets girl, they get on really well. He'll do anything for her. She'll do anything for him. They get engaged. They get married. Everything's great. They have a kid. So the, the, normally the, 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 the woman will, will dote on the kid and the husband thinks, you know, what the hell's going on? So, and then he, he sort of says, oh, this will pass, but it doesn't pass. So he'll work harder or play harder. She'll devote all her time to children. When the children leave the house, she'll turn around and say, hey, Walter, I'm back. But Walter's way gone. Right. So during the dating facade, it's 100% focused on her, 100% focused on him. Then during the relationship, that 100-100 turns to 50-50, then it's 40-60, then it gets transactional. Hey, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Whereas if you make your partner your number one priority, they will never leave you. And if you're in a problem in a relationship, what did you used to do at the beginning of the relationship? Interesting. You know, have you stopped doing that? You know, if you have a Ferrari in the car and you, and, uh, you don't do anything with it, What's going to happen? Yeah, precisely. You would never do that. So that's the secret. It's interesting. You're talking about that dating facade, like, and again, talking about relationships specifically, Emil, and and recognizing that that's a big cause of unhappiness for a lot of people. So the the dating facade, where you know you would do anything for each other, I find that fascinating. Moving forward into a into a mature relationship, let's let's put that in inverted commas, where let's 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 say for example you know and i'm I'm picking something trivial here just to to element a point right so the the dating stage and let's say for example the the guy jumps out of bed every morning and never makes the bed and then we're still in this dating phase and the girl or you know the partner turns to him and says wow it'd be really great if you made the bed in the morning he's of course my darling i would do anything for you and he turns around and makes the bed and does it move that same relationship forward three, four, five, six years, 10 years, whatever. And the guy jumps out of bed and doesn't make the bed, right? The, the partner turns and says, um, you know, it'd be really great if you really, if you made the bed is starting to annoy me. The, the guy will turn around and say, why are you nagging me all the time? Can't you just let me be? Isn't that interesting that when the first initial, can you be better? And I, again, I'm using making the bed as a very trivial point. But the point is, can you be better in who you are? At the initial stage, the partnership says, yes, I can be better. I would love to be better. In fact, I will make myself be better to, you know, establish the strength in this relationship. Whereas later down the path, when that same question pops up, could you be better? Could you be better in this scenario? Whatever the scenario is, could you be better? Immediately, it's not, I'm not I don't have to. Why do you want me to change? Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you go from that willingness to change, that willingness to be better. And so this is my theory, Anil, and I'm, I'm conversing like a friend to you here. Like my, my, my theory here is that in an argument, in a, in a disagreement, in a moment of tension that quite often relates or, or comes to a you know, bashing of the heads and an ego, you know, and it all blows up and it's all over. If somebody in that scenario can stop and say, wait, what if I was better? Wouldn't that change the whole dynamic of the relationship and the argument that's happening right then? It's, a, again, just interesting point, I thought. Yeah, so let me tell you a true story. 
Tell me. So um, I would always leave the toilet seat up mm -hmm. and my wife would complain, nag at me. And I deliberately left it up. As we do. This was back then, ladies and gentlemen, this was back then. You know, I'm a reformed character. But this is what she said to me. Honey, every time you leave the toilet seat up, I can't love you as much. And I want to love you more. You see, she's not nagging me. She's just telling me how she feels. Right. And it's a, my choice. But I, I, then I realized, oh, my God, yes, there is a big cost to being this way. I can, I can do it or not do it. It's my choice. But I said, of course, I'll do that. I, I, I realized that I, I hadn't realized that. I just thought I was being funny. Yeah. So it's not what you say. It's how you say it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for a man, a loss of freedom is a big thing. Sure. I think for a human, a loss of, a loss of freedom is a big thing. No, for a man, it's a big thing. That, yeah. That's his biggest reason they don't commit, because they feel they're losing their freedom. Isn't that interesting? In, so it's in never a commitment issue. Never a commitment issue. It's a freedom issue. Which is a, a perceived reality anyway, but that's a, <laughs> a whole very different conversation. So moving then from... From this ability to, uh, I guess, help in the marriages scenario where we're perhaps asking, could I be better? Could I actually change my perspective, my help in an argument? How do we move that into being better parents? In terms of, in terms of um, that scenario, going back, you know, 20 minutes ago, where we were talking about the kids become dependent upon the gratitude and the praise of the parents. How do you be a better parent to enable your kids to have a better understanding around them. Yeah. So what, what do you think the greatest gift? How, how old are your kids? Uh, 11 and 9. Okay. Perfect. Uh, what is the greatest gift you can give your kids? Love. Without a no. doubt. It's not. Tell me. Absolutely not. And you Don't tell me a new car, Neil, because they'll, be, they'll hold that against me. Uh, cell phone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that age. It is that age. Okay. So the greatest gift you can give your kids is this. Give them the ability to handle life by throwing adversity at them that they can reasonably handle. Okay? So a lot of kids yep. uh, are given gifts. Uh, they're given stuff. They, they're not – because the parents have been through adversity, they, they say to themselves, I don't want my kids to go through what I went through. Sure. But the, the reason you went through it allowed you to be this successful – so by you depriving your kids of the ability to have uh, adversity, you're depriving them of the joy of growing. So give your kids the ability to handle life by throwing adversity at them will allow them to love you even deeper because their capacity to love will increase, but they will decide to love you because they want to, not because they have to. Because they then the, the love is much deeper and it's a lot purer. The, Do you mind sharing the train story with me, with the audience? Yeah, sure. So, so this when is Richard, related when, to handling the adversity. So when Richard Branson was five years old, he uh, uh, was placed, thrown or placed, I'm not sure, I have to ask him, in the middle of a field and told to get home. So I wanted to do the same with our kids, who were nine and seven at the time. And my, my wife said, no, you're not doing that. Are you crazy? I said, well, maybe you're right. So we took them into central London and we put them uh, uh, into central and say, okay, kids, you have to get home. This is 20 years ago. 
if you've seen them, tell them we live in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Wish you were expecting to any day now. <laughs> and really, you know, uh, uh, another story. My uh, daughter was in Australia. No, no, no hang, on, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Go, rewind, because the, the, the punchline there was fantastic. But... So you dropped the kids and, and I remember you saying that you, you kept a safe distance, but you enabled them to handle the challenge of getting home. Yeah. And we, we were maybe 10 or 20 feet behind them, but they were not allowed to contact us unless it was life and death. If they got on the wrong train, that's fine. Uh, we, we, we taught them the basics, ne- never be at the end of a, 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 a platform, always in the middle. If you see someone in uniform, be near them. Always look out for the exits, you know, never have eye contact with people. You know, the real basics, you know, be together, hold hands, never sit apart, uh, you know, make make sure that, you know, you, you're both connected and uh, very vigilant. And then, uh, and then made it uh, we were 20 feet away, but only in a dire emergency. And if you make a mistake, it's fine. What do you do when you make a mistake? Do you, do you go back or do you look at the map? Do you have a map on you? Do you have the address? Do you have an emergency phone number? What do you do? What are your contingency plans? You know, what happens if you get completely lost? What do you do? So these are the things that we, we, we gave them advance notice of, but they had to initiate the plan. Do you think it strengthened them? Absolutely. Uh, if they wanted to go out, we said, well, go ahead. You know, if you made your way back from central London, you can. And also it made them streetwise. And the, the most important thing is this. The level of awareness was much higher than other kids. But we also shared a really beautiful uh, dinner exercise, if I could share that with you Please too. do. I love it, yeah. So we'd sit around the dinner table. I would m- ask my wife, honey, what have you done today that you have not been thankful? And she would say, I made this great meal. So I would thank her. My son would thank her. My daughter would thank her. Then I would ask my son, my daughter. Then I would answer the question myself. Next question is, what act of kindness did you perform today? My wife, my son, my daughter, me. What act of kindness did you see today? My wife, my daughter, me, and my son, me. Next question, what are you grateful for? So we would go around the table. And then uh, next question is, what was amazing about today or great or funny? So we would go around the table. Next question is, uh, what did you see? What did you notice? So, Dad, are you no- I noticed you picked me up from school. You gave me a hug and a kiss. I said, son, I will always do that, even if you're 50 years old. And if any of these other kids say anything to you, all you have to say to them is this, my dad loves me. That's it. You don't have to tell them anything else. And the last question is, 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 is there anything you'd like to talk about? So one day my daughter said, Dad, I'm having a problem at school. Great, we can fix that. Now, the next day my son would lead the exercise Mm. The day after, my, my wife would lead the exercise and the day after, my daughter would lead the exercise. So a seven-year-old has to be respectful. She has to have a high level of awareness. She has to be a leader. She has to be a public speaker. She has to feel confident. Wow. These are the greatest gifts, you, especially with your nine and uh, 11-year-old. This one exercise will change your dynamic in the family It'll give them the greatest gift, Walter. This is the incredible exercise. I love it. I love it. Uh, I will actually see if we can uh, get those questions and link them underneath this video because I think uh, that'd be a okay. nice one. I'll, se- I'll send you some articles I've written. Uh, all that'd the be questions great. Will be in there. People can actually people can follow along with you at uh, immediatehappiness.com and they can 
come and uh, get a dose of Anil and and um, lead a happy life. In fact, uh, I love some of the things that you're posting there with Facebook and Twitter in terms of just helping people achieve that happiness. Tell me, my friend, when you're speaking on stage, you have the TEDx invitation in front of you and you're about to stand up in front of the world's audience in a TEDx environment. What are you talking about? I talk about my happiness formula, my story, and the number one thing is I have to get out of my own way. I have to remove the ego because if I start thinking about me, I get nervous, I get scared, I, I care what other people think of me, will they laugh at me, will my talk go well? And the important thing is to remove yourself and realize that it, you're here to make a difference, you're here to share your story, and it's not about you, it's about the difference that you make. By you sharing your story, one person's life could be dramatically changed. Mm, absolutely. That's, a, that's an amazing um, um, philosophy, I guess, of feeling to be able to move into any environment as well, regardless of don't, don't worry about what people are thinking of you. Worry about the impact that you can make from that perspective and, and that yeah. changes the way that you're, that you're able to deliver. Anil, uh, again, my, my love for you through this screen and across the, the time that we've spent together is absolutely massive. Uh, I, I really enjoy the fact that um, you have a dedication to happiness. You have, a, you have made it a study. You've made it a conscious movement. And I believe that that's really something that can help a lot of people. Um, where will we see you in the future? I know that you've, you've written books. You're a best-selling author. You've got uh, lots of stuff going on, The Happiness Formula. I know people are going to be hearing you around and on podcasts. And Josh Rogan, when you hear this, make sure you reach out to him. Um, so, but where will we see you, my friend? What's, what's next for you? Um, I'm doing a three day summit in a few, few weeks. I'm, uh, doing group coaching for men, group coaching for women. Uh, we were scheduled to re-meet the Dalai Lama in April, but obviously that got uh, postponed. So we're going to meet him in, in probably 2021. Uh, and I'm going to be doing another world tour, uh, serving people in any way that can. My mission is to serve a, a billion people. And if people want to find out how happy you are, just do my happy test, my happiness test. It's myhappytest.com. You'll get a, a numerical score and you'll get 25 videos on how to improve your score. So that if you just watch one video and, and, and do what it says in the video, your score will rise. You'll be instantly happier. Fantastic. How to be richer in the currency of happiness with 25 easy videos. Myhappinesstest.com, is that it? myhappytest.com myhappytest.com and what an amazing thing to be able to actually go through when most as i said when we ask people what do you want out of life they say i want to be happy so how do you know whether you've achieved that unless you go to o'neill's test and give it a try and find out right. yeah. you know we we need we need to measure if if we can measure something like at the beginning you know on a scale of one to ten how fulfilled are you once you start to measure then you think oh i'm only a seven and an interesting thing is this if, if two couples were together and uh, I'll ask you, hey, Walter, what do you think your relationship is like out of 10? You may say seven. She, she may say eight. Think, oh, you know, you, you need to know her number too. Yeah, because right. if you're on a nine and she's on a two, you need to know that. You need to have a about. Yeah, really. So um, and that gives together. you that clarity. Yeah, that gives you that awareness. You think, oh, that's interesting. And then you can ask, what do I need to change? And you so if you just do one thing, what is that? Oh, can you just empty the trash? If you empty the trash, it makes me feel amazing. Is that all? If that's the only thing you want me to do? Yeah, that's all. See, that's where the communication comes in. 
Absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. Do you remember after we met back in Orlando all those years ago and, uh, and I said, can I please give a message to Mina, your wife? Uh-huh. And I recorded a message to Mina, which just simply said, thank you. Thank you to Mina for saving your life yeah. all those years ago because that has impacted and created so many ripples and uh, those ripples of joy just keep spreading out, mate. I'm, I'm really pleased to, to be a part of that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, Anil Gupta, the founder of the happiness formula. You can touch base at uh, myhappytest.com. You can go to immediatehappiness.com and just get in touch with Anil. More importantly, get in touch with what you are feeling and how you're acting and your awareness of what's around you and your gratitude right now. My friend, again, thank you for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Walter. Really, to the audience out there, this is your life. Don't, don't uh, wait until it's over before you decide to do something. Today's the day. Seize the day. The, the, the decisions you make today will determine your destiny. I love it. Thanks, mate. Catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you, brother. Take care. Hey everyone, it's Walt and thanks so much for listening to the episodes on the podcast. We really love bringing these interviews to you and I hope you're getting a lot out of them. We've designed the podcast to really help and to engage with everybody out there. So you could help us by simply leaving us a comment or a review, subscribing on iTunes. Head over there now, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us. It helps more than you could possibly believe. Do that now and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.